0: Breakthrough. break, Breakthrough.
1: Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Breakthrough.
0: Breakthrough, breakthrough. 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 Break, breakthrough. You are now listening
1: to Breakthrough News. Graduate student researchers at the University of California are set to create the largest new union in the country. Every day, workers across the globe are rising up to defend their humanity and fight for their dignity on the job. In a time of both record poverty and record profiteering, the billionaire bosses have created the very circumstances for workers to lose their fear and demand everything that they deserve. As the class struggle advances, the stories of workers are front and center here. This is On the Picket Line, and I'm your host, Monica Cruz. You just heard graduate student researchers at the University of California submitting over 10,000 signed union cards to the state's Public Employee Relations Board in Oakland last week. The new union, Student Researchers United, is set to become the largest new union formed in the country in recent decades, representing 17,000 student researchers across 10 UC campuses and the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. The university has the right to object to who can qualify for the union, and whether or not the union will be recognized altogether. The validation process can take, at minimum, a month or longer if met with challenges. If it goes through, the UAW is on course to represent more than 50,000 workers in the UC system, which is California's largest employer. The UAW now represents nearly 100,000 academic workers across the country. So many unfamiliar with the world of academia might be wondering, why do students need a union? To speak more on the status of graduate students at the UC, I spoke with Jess Banks, a graduate student researcher in the math department at UC Berkeley, and a lead organizer of this union campaign.
2: Yeah, the university likes to say this a lot. They like to say, you're students, you're not workers, you know, the research you do is a part of your studies, and we're just giving you a generous financial aid package. This is the argument they made to the labor board back in the nineties. And it's the argument that they make every time they try to convince someone not to sign a union card or not to you know, get up at the end and start organizing. But the reality is, is quite different. So student research work, grad student research work looks different in every department. Um, but at the end of the day, we are the people that are driving forward the you know, groundbreaking academic and intellectual research of the university. In addition to that, many of us are, are you know, creating valuable intellectual property that other people go on to profit off of, and that we don't have the rights to. So that's, that's the kind of work that goes on, especially in STEM fields, but it's, it's not just a STEM thing, right? There are student researchers in sociology and anthropology and political science that are in are the field doing research um and in you know in, in other departments as well. So the work is, is certainly valuable to the university. And without us, it's you know they wouldn't bring in the kind of the kind of funding that they do. Um, I think you can also just take a look at like the common law definition of employment, right? Which basically says you're hired by an employer that has the right to control your work. And that certainly describes student researchers. We're hired by the university to do all the things I just described and you know, our advisors on the university admin have hiring and firing power over us and can discipline us for not doing the work to, to their satisfaction.
1: That was Jess Banks, a graduate student researcher and a lead organizer of this union campaign. Now, student researchers have waged a decades long struggle to be recognized as workers by the UC. They first began organizing alongside teachers' assistants in the 80s to be recognized as members of the UAW. It wasn't until 1999 when the university finally recognized UAW Local 2865 as the Union of Teaching Assistants, Tutors, and Graders, and agreed to a first contract in 2000. And since 1998, student researchers have worked with the local and the UAW International to amend California's Higher Education Employee Relations Act. The university consistently fought these efforts with the support of the state. The workers were finally victorious in being recognized as workers in 2017, when then-Governor Jerry Brown signed SB 201, a bill which determined that any mention of, quote, employee or, quote, higher education employee in the Higher Education Employee Relations Act means any employee, quote, including student employees whose employment is contingent on their status as students of the regents of the University of California, end quote. Since then, student researchers and union organizers began to build support for the union across the state. And I think it's important to highlight here that their organizing efforts have not been limited to building support for the union. Last year, graduate students working as teaching assistants made national headlines during a months-long wildcat strike at UC Santa Cruz. They demanded a cost of living adjustment and were joined in solidarity by other student workers in protest across the UC system. California has become notorious for its affordable housing crisis, and strikers spoke out on their terrible living conditions, describing how they paid half their salary to live in crowded and rat-infested apartments. Meanwhile, the UC Santa Cruz Chancellor makes half a million dollars a year. Go figure. Like all workers in America, the conditions that the graduate students faced were worsened by the pandemic. It should go without saying, the very fact that these organizers could successfully push forward a campaign of this size in this climate is truly a gigantic feat. Graduate student researcher and union organizer Jess Banks described how they were able to coordinate this effort over the past year.
2: From the point of view of the organizing, the pandemic has made things incredibly challenging, I would say, because usually, you know, I know where all my, my coworkers' offices are. And if I want to talk to them about signing a union card I'm signing a petition about whatever, I can walk down the hall and I can know where everyone is. And there's organic places to see people. There are social groups that are really contingent on, um, on people seeing each other in person. And we lost all of that, all of, those, all of those natural places to talk about organizing, to talk about work and working conditions and what we could change with the union. And so instead, we had to sit down in every department with a list of everyone in the department and really carefully map out like who knows this person, who is the leader that can reach these six people in this lab and and do really diligent work with those lists and work with identifying who the right people to talk to were. And, you know, having these hundreds and hundreds, if not more of, of Zoom calls with people having these organizing conversations, getting people to sign a card, asking them to talk to their coworkers. And so it really, I think it in some sense really strengthened our organization because we had to be really careful and diligent about this stuff. And you know, the campaign really lived or died on whether we could empower our coworkers and, and make them feel their own potential to, to change things and really believe that the actions they took could further the campaign. Um, but you know, now that we've done that, we're we're in a much stronger fighting condition to go into, you know, to go into winning recognition from the university and, and a good first contract.
1: That was Jess Banks, a graduate student researcher and a lead organizer of the Graduate Researchers United at the University of California. She went on to describe the issues that graduate researchers brought up in her conversations with them during the union drive.
2: So when I talk to my coworkers, lots of different kinds of things come up. But I think the, the constants across many of the conversations that I've had, certainly in my own life, and also the conversations that other people um, working on the campaign have had, are you know, the issue of the cost of, cost of living in California, especially in the Bay Area, but also in Los Angeles, also in Santa Cruz, um, and you know, the fact that our compensation does not even nearly cover it. Um, people have talked about issues of harassment and discrimination and bullying on the job, um, workplace safety is a huge issue. I, I know people that have been burned by caustic chemicals and have had to navigate this Byzantine um, you know, benefit system from the university and were even denied workplace compensation at points. And I, I think, you know, touching on the cost of living issue as well is, um, is the issue of housing specifically. So I know, you know, lots of people, um, including myself in the past, have had to pay way more than 50, 60% of our income to rent. And in many places, um, somewhat at Berkeley and, and especially at some of the smaller campuses, the university is a major landlord. And so many of us are renting from the university who gives us a paycheck for doing our job and then takes half of it, 60% of it, 70% of it back in rent. So these are, these are the kinds of things that, that people are, are really anxious to resolve.
1: Again, that was Jess Banks, a graduate student researcher in the math department at UC Berkeley and a lead organizer of the union campaign at UC. And in addition to the host of issues that you just heard about, the problems facing international students at UC are another big area of concern for these graduate researchers. In fact, 40% of them are on F-1 or J-1 visas, which require their enrollment and employment at UC, leaving them particularly vulnerable to exploitation by university employers. These students have taken a leading role in pushing the campaign forward and pushing forward the union's goal to fight for better rights and protections for these student workers, which has been a central piece of the campaign overall. After decades of fighting for the right to unionize and to just be recognized as workers— Graduate student researchers stand to make history and serve as a powerful example that when workers fight back, whether on or off campus, they can and will win. Now, turning the page to another recent example of education workers uniting and organizing for better conditions and for power in their workplaces. Over 1,400 members of the United Educators of San Francisco voted in the largest turnout in the union's recent history of internal elections. A thousand more ballots were cast in this leadership election than the last election in 2018. The organizing for union power slate won every seat it ran a candidate for, including all seven executive officers and 20 representatives on the executive board. It probably goes without saying that it's quite rare to see this kind of turnover in leadership in most unions today. And in the midst of this historic election, the union is still fighting at the bargaining table to get a contract with the San Francisco Unified School District. For context, the United Educators represents 6,000 teachers and paraprofessionals across the district, which includes 127 public schools serving 60,000 students. Hearing about this story, honestly, I had so many questions, like more than usual, and I was really just curious as to how the Organizing for Union Power slate was able to galvanize this kind of support, and what about their program contributed to such a dramatic increase in voter turnout, and how were they able to juggle this all in the middle of contract negotiations? To speak to these questions and more, I spoke with Cassandra Curiel, a middle school English teacher and the president-elect of the United Educators of San Francisco.
0: So we're sitting in these spaces together for a couple of years in this executive board and uh, we would gravitate towards each other. Like, why is this happening? Why do we have to argue for these things that seem, seem to us, not as radical, not as like out there ideas, but they're like progressions. Right. And I don't, and I say progressions because it's not progressive. (laughs) They're just progressions forward um, for us as a, as a body of leaders within our local. And um, we were growing more and more frustrated, like trying to identify where is the issue? Who's the target here? Who, where do we um, find the, the hesitancy so that we can address it? And we're actively trying to um, work at our school sites, but also move forward the body um, in a way that's that's we see clearly what's happening in education in California we saw it in Chicago, right with UTLA's uh, walkout right there and their win on that strike. We saw it in OEA, uh, and then I was lightweight watching like UTR take over. They have a new leadership there, and I was like, you know, it's not necessarily our intentions weren't necessarily to wipe out, right? That wasn't the issue. It was what do we do to to move the historical and the very, very experienced and very valuable leadership forward. She went on to describe
1: how the pandemic further exposed the cracks in the already faulty public school system in San Francisco.
0: It was just out of nowhere. We had about 48 hours notice, just boom, boom, boom. Um, And there were a lot of problems, like the technology gap. Even still today, Wi-Fi or just internet service in general. The quality of the devices that the students are getting, like just last two weeks ago, I was delivering new devices because they were crapping out, you know, (laughs) like, what are we, we're already a year and and a quarter into the pandemic and these things aren't solved, you know? You just
1: heard the voice of Cassandra Curiel, the president-elect of the United Educators of San Francisco. She also talked about how the Organizing for Union Power slate ran on a four-pillar program. Number one, developing new leaders. Two, empowering the membership. Three, building coalitions and community power. And four, fighting for fully funded and equitable schools. I asked Cassandra to describe the logic and reasoning behind this broad list of
0: goals for the newly elected leadership. So what we created or together like formulated was a program of our main outcomes and that I haven't seen ever in my tenure around um, I've seen caucuses but never seen um, a rooted and programmatically centered movement of folks and so the thing I think stood out to me about OUP as a slate is that there's like 35 people who all have the same four main goals. And they could talk in their own ways about their own communities and their own representation because they're all different people in different um, categories of education who are all talking about the same kind of thing. And that I think was the most powerful um, message to come across to members is like, we are all about the same ideas doesn't mean we're going to get there all the same way it doesn't mean that we entirely agree with every tactic or strategy like this is not hive mind uh, thinking so much as it is that's the goal post we can see it um, and that was a little bit different than um, our opponents in this particular election and also perhaps in other elections where they were based more in policy
1: That was Cassandra Curiel, a middle school English teacher and the president elect of the United Educators of San Francisco. As the leader of the Organizing for Union Power slate that has made history in her union, I was excited to ask her about her thoughts on what she felt this experience could teach rank and file union members about, well, organizing for
0: union power. Here's what she had to say I definitely think that the biggest. especially amongst rank and file folks, the biggest eye-opener or mind-blower is how much work needs to get done by every member, right? Um, And ultimately, like, the number one thing is in the most amount of our effort and work is going to be in activating each member, right? And that doesn't mean we're going to go and, and each have those 6,000. That requires us to train other folks who are in those spaces with our members in their community to have those conversations and then to come back. So it's really about building out a program for our union structure that will accurately represent the, the members in a way that members can see themselves in some part of it, and this I've I say this a lot to myself. I say this to um, folks who have been talking with me about this is that um, the work that I do in this, in this role as president, and even as, as my role on the executive board or as chair of the grievance committee, the work that I do doesn't belong to me. My name may be on it and I'm responsible for doing that work, but the work belongs to the organization and the organization belongs to the workers.
1: And that's it for this week's episode of On the Picket Line. If you're not already, make sure you're following Breakthrough News at BT Newsroom on Twitter and Instagram and find us through searching Breakthrough News anywhere else. Be sure to check out our Patreon for exclusive content.